All right, we're back. It's been we're a back. hot minute since Drake and I sat down and slapped a podcast together, but here we are, round the table. Um, Drake's just been out shed hunting. I've been working, released an elk film that I've been working on a lot over the winter, and um, we're rolling up onto bear season. Yeah, good times. Let's jump right into it, buddy. Let's 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 uh, talk about the elk film. We we teased it a bunch in the last podcast, but now it is yeah it is out and live in the world. And uh, yeah, uh, where to start? What uh, are you happy with it? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, if you guys haven't watched it, the film's called Border Bowls. If you just search that on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, yeah, we released it through Stone Glacier's YouTube, and then Onyx and Matthews were partners on the film, just to kind of set the very most basic foundation for this thing. But it's an elk hunting film. Uh, it was myself and Andrew Whitney hunting. And, yeah, I think I'm happy with how the film turned out. Of all of the films that I've made, this one I probably got more, like, um, feedback from individuals than any of the other ones saying they liked it. So that's always good when other people like it because that's who we make films for. Um, it's not as strong a film as, like, I wanted it to be because there's not a great storyline. I mean, there is a story there of why Andrew and I went to Idaho and are hunting and why we're doing this. But, I mean, the story when we were like, let's make this film was let's go kill four elk with our bows. And if we kill four elk, it really doesn't matter what the story is. People are going to want to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, in the initial stages, uh, Lyle Hebel who I work with there at Stone Glacier, he's like, what's the story? Like, there's no story. This is stupid. And he knew it wasn't stupid, but, I mean, he made his point, which I agreed with. Like, there wasn't. I mean, this isn't a crazy story. This is just a story about two dudes that love elk hunting, right? And we just want to challenge ourselves and shoot, try to shoot four bulls with our bows. We only ended up shooting two. Um, so, yeah. Overall, I think with what, we had at our disposable or at our disposal of like who filmed it and how it got pieced together and like the hunting that we actually had like yeah i'm happy with it uh it was a long long season to get to a killed <laughs> um and this was like the first longer length film the film's 43 minutes that that i had to edit where i didn't film it myself um Let's see, there were five other guys that filmed the project. I filmed some of it, too, uh, mostly in, like, the late season when I was rifle hunting. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, Keith Ailes. Sorry, Keith, if I'm saying your last name wrong. Uh, he filmed. He was the first filmer. Then Nate Hill filmed. Calvin Connor, Sam Averett, my brother Travis Bowden, and then myself. So... I was there for all of those pieces because I'm hunting. So I'm able to give those guys some direction. But everybody has their own style of filming. And, like, I still have to focus on the hunt. So I can't be, like, you know, micromanaging these guys all the time either. You know, like, I'm there as kind of a resource or, like, give some guidance here and there to, like, help direct what they're filming or how they're doing it. But at the end of the day, they still kind of have to carry that torch and, and do that. So there were definitely things that got filmed 
you know, that I didn't have much use for, or like things that didn't get filmed that I wish had been filmed. So there was like some challenge of taking footage that I didn't film and having to build a story out of it, mm-hmm. you know? And that's just a learning curve of everybody, you know, other than Keith, all those guys haven't done a lot of hunting, filming. They have filmed. Yeah. And they're super talented with a camera, but they just haven't. They don't. They're not out filming hunts all the time. Yep. So there's definitely a learning curve there. But overall, I think everybody did a really good job. Everybody worked super hard. Like nobody didn't give it their best effort, you know, which is the biggest thing. The hunting sucked. <laughs> and, you know, the few opportunities that we did get, we took off took advantage of and made a film that people are pretty stoked on and yeah you know once you get into like this process of editing it you like start to kind of build the storyline and you start piecing it together and and a 43 minute film takes so long that you like get so far down the line that there was definitely points where i'm like 80 percent of the way done we're like oh i kind of want to make some drastic changes but time just like wouldn't allow, you know, like you have to set a deadline for those kinds of projects, yeah. especially when you're trying to launch it and have other brands be involved with it. And there's other pro like there's other things. I don't just get a focus on one film a year. So it's like, I spent a lot of overtime trying to make it right within the constraints of like my timeline. Hmm. So if I went back and got to re rebuild that film, I, it would be different, but yeah, I'm happy with it. I think it's uh, pretty sound, a very sound film. Like, there's not many like flaws in the film. You know, like there's not really no shots out of focus or bad exposure. Like, there's like the audio is clean. Like, like from a just structural viewpoint, like there's 43 minutes of solid like film. Yeah. We killed two <laughs> two nice bulls, both three hundred plus inch bulls, you know, which is not easy. We would have liked to have killed four, but I think it captured, uh, you know, which is kind of what we talked about in the film is just like the struggle of elk hunting. Like you can, you always I think have a, a really like good picture in your head that I'm gonna shoot a lot of, like it's gonna be easier, it's gonna be like perfect the way I dreamed it up, but then it's not. Yep. So, yeah. So Part of me likes it when it when it sucks because then you just learn so much more and you become a better hunter. Although it takes a while to maybe realize that and feel like you actually are a good hunter, I still don't feel like I'm a good hunter at all. <laughs> yeah, the more we do it, the I don't know. I don't know if we actually learn more. We just kind of realize how difficult it is and mm-hmm. how so many things have to align to, you know, make opportunities, capitalize on opportunities. And then you add a film side to it, and it's like, yeah. Holy smokes! But let's rewind to like. So so, where did the idea for this film come? And then like, how like, how did you package it? And how did you pitch it to these brands? Like, obviously, you work for Stone Glacier, so that was that was the primary hub or distribution point or platform to share it on. Like, kind of talk talk me through that process and what you did there. Yeah, Um, I mean, it kind of just goes way back to when I met Andrew. I met Andrew at my buddy Ben Gatorumson's house shooting bows. And so that pretty much was like instantly kind of a common ground between us and our friendship. And it was like a couple of years of like, yeah, we should go elk hunting together. And we never did. We kind of just both had our own things going. 
that's what happens when you drink Coors Light and do a podcast. Um, and then uh, I ended up drawing a brakes tag on my brother, which is a rifle tag in Montana. And we still wanted to bow hunt. And we were working with bear archery actually at the time. And so we needed to build some content. I was like, I'm going to hunt Idaho. And so I told Andrew I was hunting Idaho and he was kind of excited because his main like hunt program was like archery elk hunting. And so we actually went and went and did some scouting in Idaho together that year. He didn't end up buying a tag. I hunted Idaho, killed a bull with my bow, like the third full day I hunted over there. Just there were probably a dozen bulls ripping in this canyon. I just picked the closest one, challenged him, freaking followed him up this like little draw that was going up to a saddle and he turned around, came down the 30 yards and I laced him with an arrow. Just like it's supposed to go, you know, like, which we never once all season had anything even remotely close to that one morning that I had, you know, however many years ago now. Um, and then I forget the next year we talked about hunting and neither of us hunted Idaho. And then the year after that, Andrew did buy a tag and I went back with him shooting photos for Stone Glacier just to be like, yeah, like you got a tag. I, I'm just going to tag along and kind of help and see what you can do. And, um, actually ended up doing some calling for him and called a bull in on our last morning there. And he just was trying to move out of the sun, you know, like getting in position. Like, I don't see him. I just feel like I need to get here and like, you know, mid step into like kind of where he wanted to get to. He like looks up and the bull's looking at him and spooked off. So he didn't kill an elk. And so, you know, I started working at stone glacier and, uh, Andrew and I, I just, I don't know. Elk hunting is just, it's a perfect fit for a lot of our products at stone glacier. I mean, it's mountain hunting, it's backpacking, it's all the things to check the boxes from a content perspective. And so I was like, let's just see if we can go to Idaho and kill two elk, come back to Montana and kill two elk. Like, I think at the very least, we both knew we would for sure kill two bulls, you know, which is still cool. And so, yeah, we just pitched it to Lyle and, you know, enough of us pestering him, you know, he's like, fine. But <laughs> he's like, we might need to find some additional support to like, you know, because hiring the filmers to film as many days as we did, like there's pretty decent cost there. Yep. And Stone Glacier is still a small brand. So we got Onyx and Matthews to kind of pitch in and be a part of the project. And it was an easy pitch because I've worked with Matthews pretty heavily prior to working at Stone Glacier. And then Lyle has a really good relationship with the guys at Onyx. So, I mean, we didn't we made a short little pitch deck for those guys, but it was a pretty easy, you know, we didn't ask for much from either brand. So it was like a kind of a no brainer for them. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, just lined up film permits and our filmers and trip dates and went and did the thing. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many, uh, hours of editing do you think went into it? I should calculate it on one of these projects one of these days, but I mean, you just you had to sit there and probably just watch all the footage once. I mean, I bet, there's, I bet there's, there's definitely well over two weeks of, of filming. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so just to watch through that footage and to review, it takes a long time. And then, you know, I'm not consistently working on this film every single day. Like I, there'd be other Stone Glacier projects that come up that I have to dip, you know, for three, four, or sometimes a week, you know, working on something else. And then just to jump back into this project with all that footage and sequences takes a lot of hours just to like, remind yourself of what's there and what I had to work on. Yeah. I mean, I bet it's hmm. probably close to 500 hours. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's doing is pretty good actually. <laughs> more than it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, it could be more, but I feel like it was basically two and a half months. Yeah. 40, 50 hour weeks, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. Nice. Which is a lot. It, it wasn't as much as like the outlier was more time in this project, but yeah, it was a lot of time. Gotcha. I had a little, a little help because Coulter, um, did like the final audio mix. Like I rough mixed the audio so that it was like pretty close, but he did like the final mix for us, which was cool. Cause I've never had an audio guy help on a project. So he just takes the final Premiere Pro project and does magic to it, basically? Yeah, you basically send him a timeline and all the audio files, and then he mixes all the final audio and adds in some like sound effects and some stuff in some areas. And then huh. I just give him critiques and direction on it. Cool. Which was cool. It definitely, he did a great job, and it helped out. Having good audio is definitely a big deal in films like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Those guys are just so much faster at it. Yeah. You know, I've had to do it for all these years, so I, I know enough to be able to go in and do it. Yeah. But I don't have a big sound library to pull certain... Like, there's, there were clips that got shot in the film that had poor or zero audio that I wanted and had to use. Yeah. You know, so something has to be built for those. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> building that, like, sound can be tough. Yeah. But. What what were all the deliverables associated with this? I mean, obviously you've got the film, like there was probably a bunch of teasers, there was photo deliverables too, I assume. Yeah, uh it was mostly mostly the film and then I built a an end a tease a trailer for each brand, like a okay. unique trailer for each brand. Nice. <laughs> Which was like <laughs> a full week of grinding just to build those. It, I think I what, what's the concept? I, what's the the theory behind that? I mean, what what's the the value add of having three or yeah, I guess three separate trailers versus like one centric one that's the same? Uh, I think that the trailer is probably like the biggest hooking point for people on a project like that, just because yep. like when you work with other brands, you can't really ask them, especially a brand like Matthews or Onyx, where they have a lot of content in their calendar, to like pump all these small things out that. You, you know, you'd maybe want to if you weren't f super focused on a, just a trailer. Yep. So I just felt like with the amount of footage we were going to have, I'd cut something unique to each brand. Cool. Um, that way people didn't feel like they were watching the same content on any one brand's page. Yeah. Like I didn't want to be like, oh, Onyx posted it first, and now if Matthews and Stone Glacier post it later in the week, yep. some of the views are cannibalized, like, you know, everybody kind of had their own thing, which it was funny because like Onyx didn't even post the trailer I built for them. 
Oh, really? Did they no, post? Wh- like, which one did they post? They posted the Stone Glacier one. Oh, no. <laughs> and then when they launched the film, like, it, which is fine. You know, it's not a big deal, but it, it's frustrating. And I've encountered this before. When you build out assets for a brand and give them a very clear and defined, here's what you need to do. Like, make their, you know, make their job as easy as possible. Yep. Here's the teaser. Here's the thumbnail. Here, can you post it in this three-day window? Yeah. Here's the, ca- you know, like everything. You literally just need a human body to go in and like plug it in. Yep. You know, and then it doesn't get leveraged the way you want it, which is fine. You know, it's it's up to them on how they want to do it. Mm. The whole idea of it is I'm going to make it, hopefully the most value, give the most value to you as a brand because mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it. Yep. You know, but interesting you can't try get too hung up on that stuff because it's not the first time and it won't be the last <laughs> you can like <laughs> give <laughs> someone a very polished finished clear like i went back and reread the emails and like the links and it was like this is pretty clear i don't know how it made it somewhere else and you know some of these brands have multiple people that are working yeah I just within them so some mixed the communication up got mixed up somewhere somehow um but yeah, there were some photo assets I built out, you know, like a 15 or 20, you know, image gallery for each brand, knowing that they're probably only sh- share two or three photos. Gotcha. Made sure they were all unique. Yeah. You know. On something like that, do you connect all three brands? Like, like, hey guys, like, or hey, three brands, like you guys work together on the, on the distribution or exactly how this is going to roll or, or did you kind of plan that entire thing out? Lyle and I planned it out and just discussed it with each brand to make sure that they were on board with it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Another question. Cause it, I suppose it's, it's, it's unique in that you work at Stone Glacier and, mm-hmm. and Stone Glacier is the, the primary hub for this video. Like yep. if you were doing a video project, Say say you shot this film this film and you were a freelancer and you pitched it to Stone Glacier as maybe the primary sponsor and then you have Matthews and Oz on X as the secondary sponsors. Um, would you still try to like manage it in a way that like okay you would line out all the deliverables? Or, I'm sorry, you would line out the distribution plan as far as like hey on this date this is going to happen this date this is going to happen or would you just like hand these assets over to stone glacier and be like you know you guys figure it out for what's going to fit best with if stone glacier was like hands down the primary partner on the film i'd for sure have everything locked and loaded for them yeah i'd probably leave a little bit more up to the other brand's discretion okay but like this film Originally, it was going to be a three-part film series, and it was going to just be posted through Instagram mm-hmm. initially. You have a 10-minute, at least as far as I know, a 10-minute windowed you know, time frame to post to IGTV. Yep. And as I started roughing out the film, it was just like, we're just going to lose too much. Mm-hmm of the context like there's too much that's been filmed and built here to like condense it down that short yeah like it can be done but the way that i kind of drew it up you can't really tell the story the right way or like yeah it just didn't it just didn't feel like it was gonna work if we killed four bulls it would have worked yeah because if you do it in three parts and there's only two out kills 
the one brand that has the part where nothing dies is like, dude, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, not that you need something to die, but like, obviously more people are going to watch the parts where you kill stuff. Like that's just human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like it was a better piece as a long, longer length. And like, honestly, no one's really making quality longer length films. Why, why do you I, think that is? Is that from a distribution standpoint? Do you, do you think brands are like, oh, we're going to get more bang for our buck if we do a three-part series instead of one long film? Or does the story trump all of that? Or I think it's you got to you got to just stay true to like your vision, and like you got to do what you think is right. Because if you just start dictating entirely your content to what the views are like you're just every other YouTube series. Yeah. And I think that that doesn't captivate people very well. You know, I was like, I don't give a shit what is going to generate the most, like what makes me most excited about this film and what do I want to watch most? Like that's cause like a film like this is like, I, it's, it is art in a form of like, this is a vision I'm going to share with you. And the best pieces are going to be ones that I actually want to make the way I want to make them. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have 147,000 views on the film, you know, and we launched that, what, three, three and a half weeks ago. So, I mean, I don't, I think that's pretty good. You know, as far as views go, yeah. as far as pushing people from Instagram to YouTube to watch film. And it, I've never built any content really in my entire life that needed to get views. Yeah. Like people have always just associated the work that I do with something that they can, the quality is something they can get behind from a brand standpoint. Mm-hmm. So just you go, you have a skill set that we can get behind. Just you do your thing. You know, not like, oh, you're going to bring in traffic. I've never been like, I'm bringing you traffic. Yeah. And like putting a number to it. Yeah. It was like, I'm using your product the way you designed your product to, the way people want to see it used. Yeah. That's why they're watching it. That's why they want to buy it when they watch it. Yeah. So. Have you ever had pushback from brands being like, hey, like we don't want this long form thing. We want like three short bits or or multiple Mm -hmm. short bits. Mm Mm-mm. I don't think I'll make a long film like that again next year just because it takes so much time. Yeah. I will make another long version film. Yeah. It's just everybody's making short multi-part little like, I mean, not even short, I guess. Some of them are like 30 minutes long. Yeah. You know, but no one's, nobody's putting the time other than like, and I don't want to make it sound like this film some badass thing, but like the amount of time that was invested in those 43 minutes is a hundred X over about 99% of the other hunting content pieces on YouTube as far as just energy invested in this piece of film, you know? So hopefully that translates with the viewers, which I think if you look at the commentary and the feedback and all of that, in the way that we portrayed the brands that we worked with, like it checks all the boxes. Totally. And that was something that, you know, I wanted to make sure that this piece was something that even if you don't like me or Andrew or any of the brands, there's not really much that you can point to and say, 
oh, they did this wrong. Like, there's literally, like, Andrew took a shot in the rain and hit a tree branch. Like, that's the only thing in there that someone could really be upset about. Yeah. You know, like, everything else was pretty legit. By the book. We prepared. We practiced. We went out. We hunted the right way. We killed some elk. You know, like, we obviously invested a lot of time into the project. Like, you can't really be whether you like us or not, you can't really say that we did hunting a disservice by making this piece. You know what I mean? Totally. Which is a win. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are or whatever brand you are, you work with or whatever. I mean, as long as you're putting out quality ethical content that anybody can relate to, I think mm-hmm. that you're doing hunting is a, a good thing. Yeah. And Andrew made a perfect, <clears throat> you know, broadside shot at 40 yards and freaking smoked that bull and, you know, my shot with my rifle dumped that bull in his tracks. Um, I wouldn't say it was an absolutely perfect shot, but, you know, anytime you can roll an elk immediately upon impact and that bull doesn't really go anywhere, like, I count that as a win. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, it's not like we made poor shots or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll be uh, – filming any archery elk hunting content this year because man the hunting was brutal yeah brutal (laughs) and we hunted as hard as we have ever hunted for elk got that for your vision bro i i was just looking at that yeah the old sniper sharp Mm -hmm. i don't vision supplement when are you getting lasik I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, you got LASIK. and My brother got LASIK. He did? Craig got LASIK. Yeah, Craig Francis. Yeah, I just met with him today, yeah. Uh Everybody's getting LASIK. I really haven't had much issues with it until a couple days ago. I was shed hunting, and the snow was coming down sideways and, like, two-plus inches an hour, and, like, Mm -hmm. my glasses were screwed. Yeah. Just, I couldn't see squat. And I was like, I know there's a shed in here, but I couldn't see anything. So. <laughs> it wasn't so much that I, like, couldn't deal with wearing contacts. It was just like, man, for how much I energy I invest into this activity, the fact that I'm not willing to spend, you know, three to five grand to have to alleviate any possibility that I cannot see an animal or make a <laughs> shot, right. you know, yeah. it was just like, all right, I got to just do this. Yeah. No, that that's a very valid point. I d- I just spent three grand on a new pair of binos, and I was like, "This is crazy!" <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, valid point for sure. But uh, what'd you get? I got the. Uh, okay, so what? Quick backstory: when I when I went out on my own, became a freelance freelancer, photographer, videographer, content, whatever. I was like, I I just I always wanted to have like the best pair of binos and spotting scope that I could get, and so. Full retail, I bought a Swarovski 95 mil spotter, 30 to 70 power spotter. Then I bought the Swaro 10 by 42 ELs. And then the the NL Pures came out. The Swarovski yeah. NL Pures came out. And I did a bunch of research. And, um, yeah, I bought the 12 by 42 NL Pures. I got the little forehead rest. They're insane. Yeah. Like, best binos you could ever buy in my opinion. They're wicked yeah. sharp. They're they're really small. They actually the twelve powers actually have a wider field of view than my ten power ten by forty twos. 
thing. Or they're, they're, sorry, they're my my ten by forty two yells, hmm. which is kind of crazy. And, they, and and they fit in your buying harness. They're they're way sharper than the fifteen um, by fifty sixes from Swaro. Pretty nuts. I got the little stud to put them on. A, so you got tens or twelves? I got twelves. Nice. Yeah. Total game changer. I don't know game changer, but I I can. There's been three sheds this spring that I've spotted that I don't know if I would have spotted with anything else. They're just that good. So yeah, I heard if you you don't want to look through that that they're NL peers, right? NL peer, yeah. You don't want to look through them unless you're willing to buy them. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so anyway, that that's been a but fun. It sounds like you didn't you didn't look through them before you. Bought no, them. I just yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm one of those people that I spend like six months researching something and then one day I'm just like doing it. I get this big surge of adrenaline. I'm just like. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but, but anyway, um, yeah, it's funny when you spend that much money on optics, and then you're like, oh, what about your own eyeballs? And there's an opportunity to mm-hmm. make your life significantly easier and better. And you're definitely your your eyeballs are the weak point, right? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> you'll you'll come around to it. Yeah, it's kind of one sure. of those things you just gotta like make up your mind on your own at some point about. Yeah, but. I'm pretty confident at some point you'll get her done. Yeah. <laughs> the peer pressure is very subtle. <laughs> if I didn't believe that it was worth every penny, I wouldn't recommend it to people. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But if you're a hunter spend time outdoors, it's it's worth not having to deal with the hassle. That's cool. And I can only imagine with glasses. I wore contacts and it was worth it. But I just couldn't do the glasses thing. Yeah. But you've lived with it a lot longer than I ever tried. Yeah, I've been doing glasses, glasses for 10 years. I'm just kind of just used to it. And mm-hmm. I just close my eyes and take pictures. I don't really actually look <laughs> through the view. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back back to the back to border bulls. What are uh, – do you have some takeaways from, from this whole – I mean, obviously, it was a huge undertaking. Like, what, what are some, some learnings that you have that you would apply to – next time or like what what would you do differently what are some things that are like this was awful like never want to do that again Mm, i don't think there wasn't anything awful i think uh the hardest thing is when you go into a project like this at least certain people's mentalities and everybody's different but my mentality is like we're killing four bulls like we're gonna crush this you know like that's the mentality i have in my head every day but and you don't want to think about, well, what if we don't, you know, but you, you really need to because I probably should have had a better plan in place for like, if this doesn't go the way we want it, what's, how is this film taking shape? Yeah. You know, because it just cost me so much time and post-processing and like editing of trying to figure out like, okay, like now what? Like, how do we piece this together in a way that's people are going to want to watch 43 minutes, of, right. you know, <laughs> which I think we did a good job of, but it, it, like I had to put in so much extra effort to get it there versus if, if I would have from the beginning been like, okay, the hunting's bad. We only get a kill maybe one bull or, or like, well, if there was none, I don't even, man, I'd be so <laughs> mad. I wouldn't make the film, but you know, What's the story and what are the pieces we need to make sure we capture? Yeah. Like if the hunting is really bad, what are the things we need to film to like explain that in a way that's relatable? 
Was the whole film, was it documentary style and meaning like you, you filmed it just as it happened or did, did you pre-plan a lot of stuff? You must have pre-planned. You, um, you and Andrew have this, this cool scene where you're, you're in the gym at Mountain Tough yeah. doing this, a lot, yeah. just a lot of preparation work, just kind of showing yeah. the prep that goes into elk hunting. Yeah, we planned the preparation work ahead of time. The whole plan of my film did shift and change because I had scripted out an entire layout of how the film was going to like be set up and you know the hunts were going to unfold the way the hunts did Mm -hmm. but it was like very coordinated how like it was going to be pretty easy plug and play here all the assets we need to tell the story and whatnot um and like i'm glad that we put all the preparation in there because that is something we do but you definitely won't see that in every film yeah just because i think it gets to be like you don't have to tell people that, but it worked out really well in this project because we'll continue to make more films, you know, at Stone Glacier. And I think we kind of set a standard in Border Bulls of like the guys that we put in front of the camera in our films take this seriously. Like we practice with our weapons. We, we get in shape. We're ready for these hunts. Mm-hmm. You know, like we take it very seriously. Um, obviously in this film, like with Matthews, it's going to be kind of like a nice piece for them as a brand to show all the work that we did put in to make sure that we're ready. And I think, I mean, Sam Avery and I have watched so many hunting films through the process of this because he's been kind of taking a a space in the Stone Glacier offices because we have a contract with him to do some work with us and like the amount of films that him and I have talked about and watched with poor shots and poor everything is pretty astounding, you know? And and it's not like people should never, there shouldn't be an expectation that you never will take a bad shot, but there's an expectation that if you take a bad shot, you change something, you do things differently to avoid that. Yeah. And it's such a repetitious issue of, countless time after time after time people are making poor shots because they they just don't care yep they don't value that animal and they don't value how they are portraying the sport very malleable minds you know (laughs) and like I, i think about it i mean obviously coming from the montana wild side of things where we were the young college kids and we started out and like our natural progression of like making bad shots at some point like when you start hunting you're gonna make bad shots and like just inherently being like man like that was not okay i'm gonna do this different and understanding what your implication is by creating media and like you know just long range has been extremely normalized in the hunting industry which is two drastically different things depending on how much time you invest to be skilled yep and obviously brands are going to make that learning curve easier like because that's their business and that's just a business move that would be hard to argue with but even if you have all the tools and all the latest and greatest like you literally still have to spend like just even with a rifle to shoot a rifle at an animal any condition given at 600 yards especially a deer takes a ton of time yeah with the best gun, with the best rangefinder, with the best ballistics, like you still have to get behind your gun a lot to f- 
comfortably get the same cheek well, the same like pressure, the same trigger squeeze, understanding all the dynamics of how the wind works in the field, when that animal's moving shot angles, like, you know, like how does your bullet shoot when it's 70 degrees versus negative 10 degrees? Like what's the powder, you know, like there's so many variables outside of just like, yeah, I got a dope scope and a sick gun and, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it's good, I think, to show that stuff once in a while, but obviously you don't want to like beat a dead horse either. Yeah. Um, I respect Cameron Haynes, but there's obviously people that are like, you don't need to run a hundred miles to kill an animal, you know? And it's like, well, that's not his point, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> he's just being who he is and that's how he, he takes it seriously, you know, which that's his thing. Like I'm going to take it very seriously, not to that level, but like, I don't have to tell you that every time. Yeah. It's just my perspective on it. Yeah. But I think it's set up just a good foundation for us as a brand to now you know, people aren't like, oh, do you guys ever practice? Right. You know, if something, <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah, they can't, can't call you like, out on anything. The you know? dudes at our office and the dudes that we associate with take it seriously. Yeah. You know, and like, we're going to, we're going to tell you at some point about it. Yeah. You know, we're not going to not mention it, but you won't see that in every film from here on out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it, you know. There's a really positive side to it, but there's also like the side of it where I'm like, I don't really want to like be douchey and be like, look at man, I work out and I freaking hike hard and like freaking, you know, shoot my bow, bow. You know, like some people view that in the wrong way. They don't understand the intent of it, you know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, just a lot of people would view that as like super bro y and mm -hmm. kind of like, ooh, look at me, look at me. Or like but. in your face, like, look at what I'm doing, you yeah. know, which is like, that's like, I work out in my garage five, six days a week. Like you will never see anything on my Instagram about what my day-to-day -day workouts are. You know, it's like, I don't really care that anyone knows about that, but for this film, I wanted to make sure that like people got to see a little bit of the process of us yep. being in, being our best for this hunt. You know, because it was a big deal for us. And you got to now that you're in your 30s, you know, you got to do all this prep work just to maintain. I so. know. I'm in, I think I'm in as, I think I'm in better <laughs> shape than I was in my mid-20s. Really? Wow. Mostly because of the preparation. Yeah. I think if I did what I do now when I was in my 20s, I would have been more of a beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I feel like you don't really lose your peak in, like, physical terms in hunting probably well into your 40s, as long as you take care of yourself and don't have any real physical like ailments yeah i think just things hurt a lot more yeah yeah i don't think it's that you're not capable of it yeah and i just have seen it you know whether it's your parents or other people where it's like you have to main like the mental aspect of like your health is probably more important than the actual what your body's capable of totally yeah people just let their minds get old and that impacts what you think you're capable of because, I mean, if if you look at the most hardcore side of it, like Navy SEALs, blah, 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 see what you're capable of. It's like you most people are don't know what they're capable of in the first place, yep. regardless of your age. Like you literally don't know what your body's actually capable of because it's always capable of more than what you think. It's like how hard do you mentally prepare your brain to do hard things? Because yep. if you just continually do that, like if you look at, 
the guy that pulls his truck in at some small town that's been ranching and he's 97 years old, like he never let his brain think that he wasn't going outside and hopping on the tractor and grabbing the shovel and like wrestling calves and brand, you know what I mean? Like yep. it just wasn't <laughs> an option. Like his body was just like, all right. Yeah. Or some people are just like, Oh, I'm getting old. Like maybe I shouldn't do this where it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to die with like a perfectly healthy body. <laughs> like what's the point of that yeah totally like yeah. you want to use your body when you have the ability to use it and i'm not being reckless with my body but i don't want to be like yeah i'm 65 and my body's in great shape <laughs> hopefully i got some bruises and some scratches and some scars and some things that hurt and like some good memories to look back on is like yeah i went hard when i was like in my prime yeah, oh yeah. So, scars mean stories. Yep. Knock some teeth out, maybe. Don't get them fixed. Haven't lost any teeth. Yeah, yeah. You get a nice smile over there. I feel like that would be associated with <laughs> activities that I don't currently do or fighting, which neither of which I'm about to be involved with. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how that would involve hunting. Maybe, you have to maybe like trip and eat it on your face somehow. That'd be pretty tough. Or you, you, you like use your tooth as like the. The the st- you know, put your tooth on the stock of the gun and <laughs> give her a rip. Just just try, yeah, just to test it. Try to make some money from the tooth fairy. I could be a vlog. Could be a vlog. Could do it. <laughs> How is the vlog going? It's good. It's uh, yeah. I'm. I haven't seen any new vlogs. I'm recently. very busy. Yes, very busy. No, I've actually been editing one today. I've got three three in the pipe, but there's uh, it's a great problem. Not enough daylight. Mm-hmm. Well, there's eh, it's not necessarily there's, there's not enough daylight. There's there's almost yep. too much daylight. Yeah. Too much daylight. Yeah, if I had longer longer evenings, I could probably bang out vlogs <laughs> a little quicker. But yeah. my my goal is uh, every other week push out a vlog. So nice. I've actually got some got a little bit of sponsorship for vlogs. So it's encouragement and kind of a just a thing to keep her going. Nice. Put some accountability on my end to keep her keep her rolling and. Heck yeah. Yeah, the photography things are kicking off. It's been uh, this last year has been a little rough on photo side of things for me as far as like going and doing projects and border closures and whatnot. But yeah, looking up, looking busy. So when are they gonna let us into Canada without putting us in some government quarantine facility? Ah, your guess is as good as mine. But the last thing I've heard is basically probably September is when things might open up a little bit more. Right now, for a Canadian resident to like come to the U.S., they can come to the U.S., but then to go back to the to go back to Canada, they have to get three negative COVID tests, and then it's a mandatory like 14-day quarantine. Don't quote me exactly on specifics, but that's just for them to get back into Canada. Canada so it's, sucks. It's by a the rough way. deal right now. F Canada. F Canada. I would never want to live in Canada, basically just because of their government. <laughs> <laughs> ideologies and practices yeah none of it really we were talking to a canadian i was down in honduras on a fishing trip <laughs> and he he has a wife and kids and he doesn't even want to go home because even if even with the negative test like he still has to go to like literally a government facility to quarantine like you don't get a quarantine in your house i don't know if they set you up in like a hotel room or just like they have somewhere you go but it's like it's some crazy shit up there man 
Well, and you have to they're pay extremely for pay to be quarantined. Too. Yeah, I yeah. heard they're like confiscating guns in parts of Canada and all kind of like man. Jeez. Yeah, I don't care about hunting if the government's going to start being oppressive like that. There's bigger freaking <laughs> issues in the world. <laughs> Canada's got some right now. That's uh, for sure. No doubt. I'd like to go to Canada at some point, but not until you can walk across the border and go about your life. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. We won't get too far down that rabbit That's hole. That's a rabbit hole. I'm just biting my tongue. That's right a now. rabbit hole and a half. <laughs> Um, what else? Drake's shed count is 25, 25 Browns. And I'm on day, I've done 18 days, 19 kind of, I, I, I spent a whole day packing out of a, a zone. Um, I don't know. I packed sheds. There was antlers on my backpack. I wasn't actively looking for more, mm. but so I, I don't know if you can count that one. My goal every year is, is uh 30 days shed hunting. So, so if I get to 29, and I'm like, one day short, I need no I'll just count that this this the, the pack out days is, is yeah, yeah. one. So yeah. but what do you do? <laughs> well, you got some days to get in then. I got some days to get in. Yeah, it's the <laughs> little more more time and a lot of work uh ahead. So I'm actually I'm actually doing a master class for April Vokey's anchored outdoors specifically mm. on shed hunting. So nice. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be a fun fun little project. Heck yeah. So it's crazy how popular shed hunting has become. I told you you should have done your own class. Yeah, a long no, time I know. Ago, you did. Day one. Yep. So I'm glad you're doing something. Yeah, it, it's such a. It's kind of a catch twenty two with really all hunting content. You, and you, I think, without diving into this too much, you got to think bigger picture. It's like, at the end of the day, the more people that are out there doing an activity, whether it's hunting, whether it's shed hunting, whatever, like that's in general, that's a good thing. Like. Hmm. I think in the United States, legitimately in 25, at some point in our, in our lifetime, like hunting could get banned, like, like could get voted like, like, banned. oh yeah, it's very real. Thing. I think it's a real thing for sure. For and I, I think sure. the more numbers we have, the more people that understand, they don't necessarily have to agree with it, but they just have yeah. to understand it. Like that, that's, that's a good thing for, for the future of, of hunting and shed hunting or whatever. So so I think we, we all complain like, oh, there's just, there's always, there's so many more people, like everybody, you know, there's more people in my spot than there was five years ago. It's like, well, yes, but when you think big picture, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you know, that yeah. for the longevity of hunting, that's, that's not a bad thing. And so, so I, I have to remind myself that constantly through, through the, all the adventures and stuff that I do. And it's like, hey, think big picture here and really focus on like, the experience side of thing, that's such a cliche thing to say, but it's like, honestly, when we're actually, when we're actively hunting, it's like how much of the quote kill actually is involved in the hunt. Mm. It's like the last five days I was, I was backpacked into a, a really cool brand new spot. Never been to with four new people. I'd never spent any time with. And like we hiked all over, did find a few sheds, but it wasn't the greatest shed hunting, but it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And you know, we took a bunch of rad photos just of that experience. And it's like, yeah, it's basically like a 20-mile backcountry camping adventure. Like, it was yep. pretty sick. Nice. The avenue that got us there was shed hunting. Yeah. Even though we didn't really find that much, it was still really cool. And, uh, you know, I think the more we can focus on that as, like, you know, don't be bummed if you didn't get anything or if you didn't find anything, but just have a good time. Like, yep. that's not a bad thing yeah. at all. So. Yeah, I think more people should 
like collectively enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the solo thing is great. I'll continue to solo hunt myself, but I have way more fun when I spend that time with other people because it just allows you <clears throat> to have a lot of enjoyment outside of like just your ultimate goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Which is, which is cool. And a lot more people can enjoy the outdoors and just go out and like, you can go hunting with four of your buddies and like, even if you didn't see anything, you guys, you should hopefully still have a great time. Totally. If you're not I having know. a good time, then well. Like that's on you. Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> so I think a lot of people are just in like the me mindset. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know. I think competition kind of across the board is a good thing. Yeah, I do too. Uh, it makes you work a, harder. In a lot of ways. You can always find a downside to it, but it makes you better. Yeah. 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 But me personally, I mean, I, yeah, I, I love doing, I love doing both. I love, I, I do spend a lot of time hunting by myself and I, I find my mind gets really free and that's where kind of where my best and most creative ideas come from. So from like a work standpoint, even if I just go for like a solo hike, it can be like, go hike the M in Bozeman. If I do it by myself, my mind just like starts rolling. The ideas start flowing. And so I think on a personal level, it's really good to continue to do solo stuff, mm -hmm. at least for me, but on a pure enjoyment level like dude doing stuff with your buddies and closest friends yeah. or, or even brand new people it's like you're gonna have an experience that no one else is ever gonna be able to relate to that specific experience except for those that were on that for sure that trip so um yeah there's no downside so get out there and go get outside go play basically around. hike with a weapon aka hunt so yeah <laughs> and bring a camera i'm pro gun Everybody needs guns. Yeah, I'm pro-gun, too. But Freaking they do weigh a lot, some of them. Hurricane Biden. Mm. 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 That's all I'm going to say. I would love to see... That's all I'm going to say. I would love to see <laughs> a government legislation push forward to take people's guns. I just... I, this wouldn't happen. Look at Canada. True. Yeah. Look at other countries, man. Yeah. People got to hurry and put their foot down. Yeah. If anybody's going to do it, Americans are going to do it. But I'm yeah. amazed just in Montana, the legislative session is happening right now. All these crazy bills right now that are very anti-public land and just it's amazing how many people have stepped up and voiced their opposition to a lot of this stuff. And they've knocked down pretty much every single bad bill that's shown yeah. up. Like, that's, a, that's a cool thing to see. I, a lot of that I would actually attribute to the power of social media and like word spreading, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, here's all these terrible bills. Like I had no idea. Yeah. But because of social media, it, it creates an awareness factor and then For it gets sure. all these people just coming together. So, um, yeah, bit of a, bit of a random rabbit hole rant here, but, uh, I think most people just need to like, a lot of people I think are realizing that like, man, you can't really just expect people to be good and like uh, have roughly similar viewpoints as you you kind of got to put your foot down on certain issues or yep. at least make your voice heard yeah because there's a lot of people out there that have bad ideas that want to be really loud <laughs> yeah that is a fact <laughs> just put it that way yeah it's kind of crazy as unfortunate as as it is to have to be vocal about things like guns and your ability to own guns and and you know, have common sense wildlife management practices or, or whatever it is that's kind of in your realm of day-to-day -day thought. Like, man, you really have to kind of stay on top of it and be like, this is how we like it. 
this is how we like it every year. This is how we want it to be, you especially know? at a state level. And so, like at a at a national level, I think I'm not going to say your voice doesn't matter because it, it certainly does. But at a state level, like state us level, being in sure, Montana, yeah. like like we actually have a pretty good input of what happens or doesn't happen, or like our, our voice matters at a higher level than yeah. at a national level. So yeah. everything I think kind of has a swinging pendulum effect, and I think. A lot of the crazy, you know, maybe more liberal things that have happened in our country, I think they swing so far before people are, like, entirely sick of it, and it kind of swings back the other way. But yeah. The old checks and balances. Hopefully. Yeah, hope you hope. <laughs> you got to just keep that freedom around to have checks and balances, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, well, what else? What about um, how's the timing? If somebody wants to get into doing what we do, making contents, I feel like right now is a pretty good time to freaking put your head to the grindstone and like get after it. I mean, any time is a good time. Any time is a good time. Yeah, but a lot of the brands and stuff that that I work with, and um, I mean, I'm pitching stuff right now. Like tomorrow, I have two phone calls where I'm literally pitching projects, and yeah. so a lot of these brands they finalize their budgets in end of April, first of May, mm-hmm. and so it's like right now is when you pitch. And then if you're just getting into the game, you know, you anybody, I think if you're first getting into the game, you got to spend a year, maybe five, even like building up oh, yeah. your ability level as well as like your content library, like showcasing your work to be like, hey, here, here's what I'm capable of doing. And then you approach brands. Yeah. But in an ideal world, I mean, you're you're approaching brands. But I mean, end of hunting season, mm-hmm. if not earlier. You pitch oh, yeah. a project and like, hey, next year we're gonna do this. Yeah. Like as early as you can. If you wait until middle of the summer or even fall, like it's way too late. Yeah. If you are waiting until that point, like maybe you can get some product. Maybe you can just kind of incorporate some of their product into your shots to then be like, okay, now I have some content to be able to showcase to them when I pitch them next year, but yeah, yeah, no, uh, no better time than, than right now. So yeah, we just had a student sign up today. Props to I forget the guy's name. Sorry. Props to him because yeah, the best time to start is now. But as far as like the year goes, if you aren't into photography in a serious fashion, you want to be, I would say get into it. And we've had a few people, hit us up that really haven't delved into photography a whole lot that are curious about the hunting photographer, the online course and the mentorship. And, you know, I feel like we teach people so much outside of, you know, just photography and business and how you think about something that you want to pursue that it's, it's easily worth the $2,000. I mean, if you're a photographer, it's really worth it. Totally. You totally. go you go buy a lens and spend more than two grand, and that's not going to make you a penny. Yeah. Unless you know how to use it right, yeah. pitch the content that you shot with it right. So, I would just encourage people to just think about, you know, camera's just a tool. Uh, the real value in in what you're selling to companies lies between your ears. You know, it's in your head, it's in your brain, it's in who you are as a person, and how you go about that stuff, and I mean, I'd like to think that we've had quite a bit of success with the students that we've had go through our course. I mean, it sounded like you just hung out with 
one of them on your last little adventure. He he wasn't able to make it, but, uh, but yeah, Nick Nick Marciano, he but Bian- wasn't Bianca. oh Bianca, yeah. Well, actually, Bianca, she she actually won the Sika Diverge photo contest, yeah, and she won. Nah, that's the, how she got the course. That's how she got the course. Right, but she took the whole course and is like mm-hmm. she's rolling. Yeah, yeah. Bianca kicks ass. Um, I don't know where I was going with that whole point there. I lost track. Where was I going, Drake? No, just read my mind. On <laughs> <this> one. <laughs> You're just uh, talking about how oh, this between you and I, we have all this wisdom. And stuff. I just feel like we we we've done a good job with the course in in helping people think about why they're a photographer, what it is they like about photography, how that connects with brands. Yep. And then it's it's like if you can understand that, the conversations to get shoots and to get paid is like so much easier. Oh yeah. And like, hey, I know how to run a camera. Like that means nothing. Yeah. If you understand your value and then you really understand the brand and like what they're wanting, it's like it's so easy. It's yeah. like a mindset. Yeah. Like this whole even outside of photography and film, just like business and everything, it's just a mindset. Yeah. You know, of just understanding the different aspects of it and like connecting the dots. Yeah. So if you're on the fence about our course, feel free to message myself or Drake and, you know, we're happy to answer questions, but, um, we think it's worth it. And anybody that takes the course and doesn't feel like it's worth it, you can get your money back. Still haven't had anyone ask for their money back. <laughs> so Heard it here on the podcast. <laughs> yep. So yeah, check it out at the huntingphotographer.com and yeah. Who knows when the next podcast will be? Hopefully sooner rather than later, but we're busy dudes, and hopefully we give quite a bit of information out in these things. And, yeah, good luck out there on spring bear hunts. I know that's what I'm looking forward to, and not everybody has that opportunity, I guess, depending on where you're at in the world, but springtime's a good time regardless. Except for the ticks this weekend. Literally 200 ticks. 200. I didn't get a single one on me. I got them all over my legs, but I would pluck them off before they'd come up. And Gee. the other the other crew, they stood in a wall tent or in a teepee tent with wood stove, and a couple of them weren't wearing gaiters, and like Oof. constantly ticks would just appear. It was nasty. Yeah, I'm surprised nasty. you got that much hair going with the ticks. I know that's usually ah, it's like a little tick forest. It is probably one in there right now, but. Yeah. <laughs> I usually, yeah, my hair is as long as it's ever been in my life. So, it, it usually doesn't last this long because usually ticks are crawling up my neck, and I'm like, nope, cut gone. it all off. I saw someone that had a tick that was crazy small on them the other day. Might have been me. I posted a little dinker to my story. It's a baby tick. Baby ticks actually have six legs. and uh, then they, It was your story then. I uh, remember yeah. the legs. And then they, it was crazy small. I don't even know how you saw that thing. Well, I just, I'm always looking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm paranoid. <laughs> Paranoid for, for elk sheds and ticks. Fortunately, uh, most of the ticks out here I don't think are no. carrying disease. No. I think you got to be more worried out on the East Coast. East Coast ticks. for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think we should say that the ticks are really disease-ridden out they there. They are. The They're just nasty little yeah. parasites. I mean, parasitic. Parasitic, yes. Yeah. Bring Even. your macro lens, though, <laughs> if you're in a tick-infested area because, like, I don't who's have you ever sold a tick image? Um <laughs> no, but I well, as a as a collection of like springtime photos, mm. I've done some like shed hunting photo essays where you include pictures of ticks or yep. like people are looking for tips and tactics and one of my tips and tactics is 
or basically ways to com- combat ticks. And it's like I have a big old fatty, mm. juicy looking photo of a tick, and it it it, it uh, creates emotion for sure. Usually green faces and like you sounds. So how often do you carry your macro lens? Well, <laughs> been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Damn macro lenses. Yeah, no, you got to uh you can actually get some really cool shots with macros. I I would never say they're going to be like a prime image, but they're always a great like uh secondary or like mm. um, supporting image to something. Sure. It just provides such a unique perspective. Yeah. And like literally ticks are so stinking stinking tiny like you can fill up a whole frame with a tick and for sure. Really turn people's faces green so yeah unfortunately in the hunting space there's kind of just some limited epic opportunities with a macro lens yeah this last weekend my my uh i was out shooting photos with my girlfriend and well we were we were shed hunting we were just hiking out and um it had just snowed and, and all the snow was melting and there was all these this, this brush that had these little water droplets mm-hmm. And she got some really cool photos of me standing like back behind, maybe five yards past the water droplets. And in the water droplets, uh, we were shooting it with a, I think it was a 16 to 35. And like, you can get close, but nothing like a macro. So in all the little water droplets on this, this one little branch, there was probably 50 water droplets. You could see the like upside, the inverted reflection <laughs> of me carrying all these sheds. And I was like, nice. that would have been epic oh, if we had a macro. Hey. So anyway, it's uh, yeah, the, the macro like zoomed in on a water droplet, getting the reflection, or like zoomed in on someone's eyeball, getting like the reflection they see. Like there, there's that that's you could call it a, a formula um, for macros, but it's it's capturing that reflection. That's something that's really unique, mm-hmm. pretty dang epic. Like that's a reason to carry a macro. I still haven't seen you light a shed on fire yet, Drake. Yeah, I'm no, still I, waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be a dope photo. I know. I, Just putting it out there. Anybody, anybody's welcome to that idea at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen a shed on fire. I think you get some dope photos. I agree. Wouldn't make a lot of sense, but it'd be good for likes on the gram. So it would. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll just end it with that. If you made it that far in the podcast, there you go. Peer pressure right at the end. I'm yeah. gonna make dinner, and that's it. Till next time. Till next time.